But uh, what we'll do is we'll uh, chant Om three times. That way um, it brings everybody um, in focus. You know, we're all in the same place at the same time. But I thank everybody for showing up and I really appreciate seeing Yo-Yo down here. Yo-Yo you know, one day will become a basket carrier. You know what a basket carrier means? No. Basket carrier means uh, a person who can carry the Dharma. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll sit erect and then you'll take a deep breath in and then you'll intone that great Om. Take a deep breath in, and then you can slowly open your eyes. Uh, for me, from this side, it's like watching a field of flowers. <laughs> you know, everybody's come because the, the best in you has been stimulated. You know, if, if you think of yourself as a bag of stuff, you know, of your memories, of your dreams, of your hopes, of your desires. It's a lot of stuff of your history. But um, when you come to satsang, it's the best of you trumping everything else. <laughs> your, your whole basket of stuff has been trumped by the best of you. Um, because it's... Um, it's a ray of the soul. It's an element of the soul that's uh, seeking to uh, um, be released, uh, be expressed, uh, to be known. See? So it quietly seeps through your subconscious and then up through your conscious and then it takes action. <laughs> so you all got in your cars and, and drove all kinds of distances to show up. But really, 
the impulse is a spark of the soul. That's why you're here. See, so <laughs> and your your soul is that your highest condition. See, we have like infinite other conditions, <laughs> but your soul is your highest condition. So that's why you you chose to put aside all the ten thousand things that you could be doing today, and you you you, you come to a satsang. Satsang is, is an opportunity uh, for greater expansion, see? So, expansion into your deepest, truest self. Uh, expansion into uh, wholeness, see? Because we're all, we all have a tremendous anxiety because we're such fractionalized beings, you know? We're chopped up into 10,000 different things Oh, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a daughter, I'm an employee, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm short, I'm fat. You know? <laughs> You're fractioned into all of these things of which each one is going to give you a certain amount of frustration. <laughs> but when you uh, come to satsang, it's the opposite of fractionalism. It's, it's trying to move towards holism. Normally we accept that we're fractionalized. You know, I have 10,000 different feelings, I have 10,000 different thoughts, I have 10,000 different roles. With each one of those fractions is a frustration also. You can't separate it. You know, if it's something you love, you're afraid of losing it. If it's something you don't like, you're frustrated that it's present. <laughs> See? So it's always a problem. But in, in wholeness, uh, all of that is neutralized. It's all, it's all neutralized. You, you go beyond it. You, uh, all, that, all that fractionalization, oh, let me just backtrack. Again, the topic today, of course, is meditation that we're talking about today. That's the, today's topic. I'll be coming at it from different angles. Just, I'll talk about meditation in 10,000 different ways so that at least one of those that ways will catch you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in, this fractional, in, in this fractionalism, it's all a product of mind. That's part of the function of mind. The, the mind separates things and analyzes things. That's part of its function. You say this from that, this from that, this from that. All of that is mind. Every time you say this for that, you know, that's a function of mind. Um, and, uh, and, and, or mind, and then the expression via thought, which is in Sanskrit called varitti. Varitti means movement, movement of the mind, thought process. And in the, in the yogic process, um, you're, you're moving towards stilling the mind. In some ways that sounds very nice, oh that's peaceful, that's sort of nice. And then in your subconscious you say, wait a minute, if I still the mind, where am I? <laughs> and that sort of freaks you out because <laughs> you think, wait a minute. I'm not, inter I'm not interested in my personal extinction. <laughs> uh, 
that statement is an interesting statement, but it's actually it's based on ignorance. There's, there's no such thing as your personal extinction. Not possible. You know, you're created by the immortal, eternal, effulgent reality. You know, that's your heritage. There's no such thing as your extinction. Change, yes, but extinction, no. <laughs> See? So, we should be able to, uh, with great strength and courage, uh, approach stillness. See? But as you approach stillness, uh, it means you're approaching other um, dimensional realities. Right now, you have touch, taste, you know, all these five senses, you know, smell, hearing, sight, such, okay? And you consider reality based on those senses. But a dog smells better than you, you know. <laughs> you know. Bats hear better than you. <laughs> See, so you have to understand whatever you have, whatever you're basing your your awareness of reality is, is based on a, a sense, and that sense is limited. <laughs> so you're not really seeing reality. You're seeing reality based on the ability of your tools, see? So how much of reality are you really seeing? You know, an owl sees better than a man, an eagle sees better than a man. You know. <laughs> Dog smells better than a man, or a human being. So, you know, rabbit runs faster than a man. So, we have to realize that even in the limited dimension that we are primarily aware of, we only see a small, or we only experience a small portion of it. And that's, that's based on the, the tools that we have. What about all the other dimensions that are going on? This is not the only dimension. This is not the only realm. Okay. So, in this process of meditation, um, you, you land upon this great adventure to uh, find out what are your greatest capacities or what are your capacities and then how to utilize those capacities in the search for what is real, what is true, what is so. Okay. So that's that's sort of the, the great adventure part of, of meditation. Now, many, many, many people fail in the process of meditation. Even people who tell me, Hari, I've been practicing 10 years. Hari, I've been practicing 25 years. Hari, this is my 40th year. And I look at them, you know. See, as a Dharma teacher, you learn how to keep a poker face. <laughs> you know, because half the time you're going, Oh my God, oh no, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know? And then then what we fervently do, in our hearts we fervently turn to God and say, what to do, what to do. <laughs> That's all inside baseball. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, so... 
to really, now we're going to come at meditation a little bit differently, to really uh, acquire um, some significant uh, progress in the meditational process, um, you have to acquire a very sensitive, uh, uh, sympathetic heart. Without that very sensitive, sympathetic heart, you're not going very far at all. It's like trying to move a car with your foot on the brake and the handbrake on, and you know, you're mashing down on your foot brake. Well, you, you can be spinning your tires and you're in your car, but you're not going anywhere. That's a whole lot of the meditation people I see. You know, they're, they're spinning their wheels and they're in the car, but they're not going anywhere. They're just burning up a lot of rubber, damaging their brakes. Without, without that uh, sympathetic heart and, and um, being conscious of the, of the pain of others, you're not going away. And, and probably so much of the problem now that I see in this world is everyone is like, oh, my wound here, oh, my wound here. You know, they're so fixed on their own self. You know, you've got three or four wounds, and what about the guy over there who has 10,000 wounds? You know, why don't you be thinking about them and helping them out? You know, sure you've got, you know, two or three wounds. Yeah, so what? Look at the guy who has 10,000. See? Without, without that sympathetic heart, um, it's not possible to make significant process in, in progress in, in, in meditation. Uh, until you can realize that other souls are suffering and that you move to take some form of action, I guarantee you, you're not going to make much progress in meditation. Because ultimately, meditation is about wholeness. And it's not just my wholeness, it's everybody's wholeness. So, if, if, if you're not sensitive to the suffering of others and taking some form of action and understanding the, the action that you take is to bring wholeness to them and wholeness to the community and via that wholeness to yourself, where are you going? Ultimately, meditation is about wholeness. It is, and you can say wholeness slash true self-knowledge. Self-knowledge and wholeness are the same thing. They're synonyms. They're absolute synonyms. They're the same thing. So a lot of the times you see people say, oh, I'm sitting om, 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 om. And they're doing all that kind of stuff. And, and on their way to the satsang hall, they pass the beggar who's hungry. They pass the woman who's sick. They pass the, 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 the children who have no eyeglasses. And it never occurs to them to stop and do something. <laughs> But they're heading for the satsang hall to do their meditation. Om, 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 om. You know, from the teacher's point of view, we look at them and say, "Give me a break, you, you poor idiot, you poor fool. <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> you know, God gave you a heart and a mind. You know, you know, you, you should be using your mind to bring wholeness. You should be bringing your using your heart to bring wholeness." You should be bringing your action, physical skill, to bring wholeness. 
the purpose of meditation is wholeness. See? So if you if you pass all these broken conditions, and then you think that you can go sit in meditation and practice the science of wholeness, you're profoundly deluding yourself. If you think meditation is just about you, you are profoundly deluded. You're not minorly deluded, profoundly deluded. See? Meditation is a truly holistic phenomenon. It's truly a holistic phenomenon. Part of the journey in, in, in meditation is, is to find compassionate, skillful ways of helping others. Only when you're in that process do you actually become fit for significant study. See? There's a, there's a level of fitness. You know, if, if your heart is dead, you're not fit. If your mind can't analyze and see the suffering of others, you're not fit. You're just a joke. You might be a pleasant joke, but you're still a joke. See? This is the hard truth. You know, this is, I'm telling you what people really need to make significant advancement. See, that's why I say all Dharma teachers have the heart of a woman. You know, they may roar like a lion, but inside they all have the heart of a woman. You know, uh, tender, thoughtful, compassionate, nurturing. You know, they all do. Every one of them, even if they roar like a lion. So, a lot of times we'll say, okay, I'm going to study meditation. And someone says, okay, sit down and you know, hold your you know, head and spine, your spine erect. And, and then the in-breath say, so, and the ex-breath say, hum. You know, all, all that's good. It, it's all good. It's, 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 some, it's some kind of a, a elementary discipline. Um, at least it's keeping you from out of mischief, so that that's that's good. But keeping you out of mischief and significant advancement are two profoundly different things. See, you know, you can put a guy in a cage and you're keeping him out of mischief, you know, <laughs> but he's not advancing at all. So, so really. People come, mature people come uh, uh, to meditation process because they have this fundamental angst that something is wrong. You know, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with the world, you know, I, I, I see suffering, I feel suffering, you know, something's wrong. And, and we fundamentally, innately know somewhere, somehow, there is a condition of wholeness. Somewhere, somehow, there is a condition of wholeness. So that makes the person start to take steps of, of advancement, you know, to, to um, heal themselves and heal their community. And your community, you know, it grows. It's, it's first, it's your community of your own senses, then it's your community of your family, and then it's your broader community that you live in and eventually it becomes a, a, a global community where um, oh okay I thought you were second where the, the
that community is not is not just the humans, but you have to acquire a tender heart, you know, for all the creatures of this world. And you have to acquire a tender heart, you know, for the various forces in this world, the rivers and the sky and the earth. You know, if you don't have a, a tender heart, um, for the humans and the creatures and, and nature itself, again, don't expect much advancement. <laughs> don't expect much advantage. You have to understand, all of that is created by that one re reality. You know, we're here to be stewards. So God gave us a big brain and a big heart. You know, use that big brain and big heart and physical ability action to become a steward. Just like a good mother is the steward of her child, you know, she's always thinking about that child. She's always wanting the best for that child. She wants the child to be properly nurtured, properly bathed, you know, give them right values, right intention, right opportunity. See? The mother is a steward. We all have to accept that our heart is, a, is, is the feminine aspect of our, our, our reality. And in that heart, we should sort of become universal stewards. Of course, you will prioritize because you have certain proclivities and inclinations towards one thing or another. Fine. You know, fine. You got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Whether it's the rivers or the fish or cleaning the sky or, you know, you know, removing trash from the earth or the oceans, or taking care of the birds, you got to start somewhere. But you got to start, you know, and that and you have to realize. Let's say you love taking care of um, the the birds. You have to understand that that's just a place to start. That's not where it ends. That's just where you're functioning right now, but you're still concerned with the entire ecology, that the birds exist within a larger scheme. You may be functioning at this element, in this element in the scheme, but you have to also have a, a, a broader consciousness that this is part of that, see? And ultimately, you want the welfare of everything to, to be well. So, Ultimately, this whole um, meditation process, and there are many, many, many methodologies within the meditation science, but ultimately, it's to bring healing and wholeness. And beneath that healing and wholeness is, is true self-knowledge. That you start to realize there's, it's, it's the mind and your thought process that said me and that. It's, it's the thought itself that created separation. See? So as, you, as you're practicing meditation, you're slowly becoming a more universal soul. You're slowly diminishing the infinite volume of thoughts that are arising. And as you minimize this infinite variety of thoughts that are constantly arising, there's this greater and greater sense of, of universal being, and that universal beingness is part of everything. <laughs> See?
because it's the thought process itself that separates you. It's, it's the thought that says I and thou, you know, me and you. You know, as long as you're just, your, your meditation is me, 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 which is most human beings, they're not much good to anybody else. See? They're not much good to the earth, they're not much good to their spouse, they're not much good to the family, they're not much good to the earth. Because their idea is me, 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 me. That's what they're chanting. They're unfortunate, unfortunate human beings. See? Um, but if you can slowly start to minimize the thoughts, neutralize the thoughts, become less impassioned with the thoughts, then there's a, a cosmic us, a cosmic we, a cosmic that. We become part of that. See? <laughs> yeah. The common human being will think, oh, I'm losing something. But the more enlightened being will say, I'm gaining everything. <laughs> See? You're gaining tremendous intimacy with life. You know, you're, you're, you're gaining um, more than a fellowship with life. More than a fellowship. You know, you're a, a deep, deep intimacy. It's just like a wave of existence that you're just simply part of. See? You know, you're becoming part of this ocean or, or sea of, of life, of divine impulse. See? Yeah. So you're becoming full. You're becoming whole. You're becoming unfractured. See? So that's why if, if people are honestly meditation, med practicing meditation, uh, correctly practicing, um, they're becoming kinder and kinder and kinder. You know, they're, 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 the very bone and marrow of their intention is kindness. See? The, they no longer have an enemy in the world. They no longer have a foe in the world. Even though the world may be misbehaving and doing unpleasant things to them and others, they don't have an enemy. They don't have a foe. They, they just see this as a, a greater state of unwholeness, a greater state of fractionalism. The greater the fractionalism, the greater the violence. The greater the fractionalism, the greater their ignorance. See? The people are doing very, very bad things based on ignorance, but that ignorance comes out of a fractured mind. They don't see the wholeness of things. So it's easy to damage something that you don't think is part of you. <laughs> you know? If, if she said, well, that's not, they're not in my family, so we can, we can treat them badly. They're not part of my country, so we can treat them badly. You know, we can exploit them. It's that fractional mind. See? It's that lack of wholeness that allows us to treat others not so well, or at times cruelly. Now, if you practice meditation correctly, the, the walls start coming down between myself and everything else. And um, you have a constructed nature and you have a, a true nature. The constructed nature is what Everybody told you about. Your mother said you're this way. Your father said you're that way. Your friends said you're this way. Your society says you're that way. So you, you start to have a, a composite notion of yourself based on what everybody told you. 
you know, your parents and your friends and your society and your teachers all told you you're this way. You know, so you have that, that sense of, okay, this is who I am. That's your constructed self, which is basically a bunch of nonsense. It's utter nonsense. And then there's the, the, the genuine self that is discovered. You know, as you sit in this process of, of meditation, it's just an infinite process that's broader and broader and broader of, of self-discovery, of, of finding out what you're really made of, what is the stuff of you, you know, as opposed to what people told you, see? Which is, that's why they say in meditation, it's, it's a constant process of revelation. And that's a really true statement. You know, you're like, holy mackerel, I had no idea that I, that I had, I could experience these vistas of, of nature and that these vistas of nature are intrinsically part of, of my existence, see? Your, your whole self-definition changes. Now, you, you can't publicly declare that your, your definition of self is changing so radically because you'll be institutionalized, <laughs> or at the very least, greatly marginalized. Because everybody else is involved in the great delusion. And now you're destroying the delusion. So you're now a minority subject. You're changing your uh, citizenship from earthbound to kingdom-bound. <laughs> See? Kingdom-bound is complete unity. Earth, tremendous fractionalism. You know, everything is busted up. You know, uh, real problem. So, so it's a, so you see that the sages, uh, before they ever taught, you know, this is prayer, this is mantra, this is meditation, they teach you values, and they teach you ethics. You know, so many people go into meditation studies without considering values and ethics. Completely absurd. Completely absurd. So what are you, a lousy person who learns how to meditate? Is that, is that possible? You know, uh, the selfish being who, who wants to find wholeness, is that possible? Come on, get, get real about this. So the, the, the saints and sages, the Rishi, always taught you about values. And, and in those values is, is an inherent capacity to have compassion for life, to have compassion for others. See, and, and they didn't stop with just human beings, you know, have compassion for the animals and the earth and the rivers and the sky, all the creatures. Um, but in the modern study of meditation, it's often overlooked. Well, the sages and rishis didn't overlook it. So why are you overlooking it? You know, and I'm saying you in terms of all the quote quote meditation teachers, quote quote Dharma teachers, or quote quote you know, religious teachers. You know, why are they overlooking? You know, the broad values of compassion and, and how they implement that in, in life. See, you, you you can't take a lousy person and make them a meditator. It's not possible. It's not possible. You know. 
you have to become a reasonably decent human being. Not absolute, I'm just saying reasonably decent. <laughs> to start the process, you know? And then as you can enter into the process, you start ejecting, releasing the rest of your baloney, the rest of the nonsense, the rest of the misperceptions that you've been dragging around, you know, the rest of the ideas that allow you to bang somebody else over the head, you know, you learn to let it go. It's, you re realize it's nonsense, it's rubbish, it's non-productive, see, it doesn't move towards a healing, wholeness, completion, self-knowledge, all that kind of good stuff, see. So we have to uh, really, really, really develop a sensitive heart. It all starts there. Without a sensitive heart, you're going nowhere. I don't care how much you've studied. And I, and I hear it all the time. Oh, Hari, I've been practicing 30 years. I've been practicing five years. And they're like sincere, but they're sincerely ignorant. <laughs> sincerely ignorant, you know. You know, and, you, and as you discuss, you know, oh, I'm, I've got this acquisition, I've got that acquisition, I've done this, I've taken this course, I've done take that course, and I, I think to myself, yeah, you've done all this for yourself. What have you done for anybody else? And that notion has not come into their head. And even if they've done something for somebody else, it's not really for somebody else. It's so that they can reflect upon themselves and saying how good I am. You know. Which is meaning they never really did anything for anybody else. It was just a ruse to do something for themselves. See? In, real, in this real science of Dharma, you have to be ruthlessly honest. You know? About, about what you're doing and why you're doing it. See? So, and if, if the rishis, before they taught prayer, mantra, and meditation, worked, worked on, you know, ethical values and compassion, you better bow down and respect that. Because they are the real deal. You know, who are you? As you, you a, a human being is like a worm. You know, really. In terms of consciousness, like a worm. You know, not that worms are bad. But it's, I'm saying minimal consciousness. Exceptionally minimal consciousness. See? Rishis are great. Rishis are the glory of God. You know? Understand where you stand on the evolutionary... You know, ladder here. You know, <laughs> you know. When you come across a sage or a rishi, bow your head. That's the real deal. That's that's a citizen of the kingdom. You're merely a citizen of this earth, which is a disaster. <laughs> it's a divine disaster, but it's still a disaster. It's divine because God made it. It's a disaster because you're thinking. <laughs> your thinking is not based on any reality. That's why it's a disaster. It's divine because God created it. So, the whole this whole thing is to create a type of unity between the enlightened God creation, of which the human is, but the human is unaware. They're unaware of what they are. So they're involved in an infinite amount of mischief because God gave you all these tools of, of intelligence and creativity, but without it being rooted in wisdom, in, in true self-knowledge, it acts out in mischief, see? Because it's misinformed. 
the whole all these rishis, saints, and sages come to give you correct information so that you can take all of your infinite attributes and come to self-knowledge and also come to the creative unity between God's creation and your own human expression. See? So that there's a, a harmony. We're, we're supposed to work in conjunction, you know, with the divine creation, not in our own uh, egoic opposition. See? If we look at the newspapers, we see the mischief of man. You know, it's, it's uh, sad and shameful. Fortunately, it's not forever. <laughs> Fortunately, God outlasts everything. And God will sort it all out and gives us the opportunity to, to get our, our heart and mind in line so that we become a blessing in this world. Ultimately, in the evolutionary path of man or of the human condition, ultimately, everybody has to become a living blessing. Living, talking, walking, blessing. That's the destiny of man. And the question is, where are you in that process? You see? If you want to know, where are you in that process? Well, how sensitive is your heart? See? How sensitive is your heart? Less sensitive, less progress. Less sensitive, more savage. Just be honest. So savage. <laughs> so... This is a perspective that we have to start to under, understand so that you can get your footing right, you know, so that you know where you are and you say, well, you know, how much do I really think about the welfare of others? You just, just you don't have to put it on a billboard, just be honest to yourself, <laughs> you know, and you can, you can, you have to, like you come to a person like me to find, um, skillful ways to love others see skillful ways to serve others so you can be dead broke and be tremendously significant in the lives of others or you can be you know joe mega millionaire and also be significantly helpful we all have tools you know everything from a smile to a donation you know some kids don't have glasses you have some dough, make sure those kids have glasses or education or whatever they need. If you don't have that, your smile, your, your, your good intentions, your, your joyful heart, you can share it. Share it. Show some respect. Show some joy. You know, share some joy. You know, say a kind word. Find something nice about them and open up your mouth. See, we, we all have something to give. We just have to get get in the process of giving and know that that process of giving is the process of self-evolution. So, you know, who, does, who, who amongst us can't put a smile on our face or say a kind word? See? A kind word to a depressed person can change their life. You know? You know, things are not so bad. You're okay. You know, let's go out for lunch. You know? Value them, respect them, care for them. All of, all of these types of activities are the precursor and the uh, qualifiers that allow you to enter into the meditation process. 
and have success. Okay, for all, for all um, spiritual practices, you have three things that are absolutely necessary. People go into it, and this is important to understand. For success in spiritual practices, you need correct environment. You need correct knowledge. And you need correct method. Correct environment, correct knowledge, and correct method. You need all three things. And if you don't have all three things, I don't care what you're doing, it's not going to work. You can be doing the doing it 30, 40 years. If you don't have all those three elements together, it's not going to work. So in a simple example, I have a, a, a match and a matchbook, a match and a striker. The matchbook and the striker, you, you have the correct material. Okay, it's there. My knowledge of it is there. You have to be able to strike it. That's that's the method. You have to know what to do with it and how to do it correctly. Now, if I took that that matchbook and I stuck it under water in correct environment, see? So I can have correct knowledge, I can have correct method in correct environment. Nothing happens, see? Or if I have a match and, and, and a striker that's not correct, well, something in the knowledge is not right, see? Or if I, if I have the, the correct environment air, a striker, a match, but I strike the wrong end of the match, correct method, in, incorrect method. See? I had the right knowledge, but I didn't apply it correctly. See? So you, you need correct, correct environment, correct knowledge, correct method. See? A lot of times people will say, okay, this Guruji said this, okay, and he showed me how to do it, so I have, okay, correct knowledge, I have correct method, but your heart and mind are lousy, you know, or you're in the inappropriate environment in one way or the other. Not going to work, not going to happen, not going to happen. That's why so many people don't make so much progress. Correct environment, correct knowledge, correct uh, method. And, and also, with this correct knowledge, the Guruji will say, do this, do this, do this. And you'll say, well, I'll do this, and I'll do some of that. And yeah, that's the other thing's not so important. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Is that correct knowledge? Who are you? Who are you? The sages say, oh, fool. <laughs> you know, to try to rewrite the words of a saint. Come on. That this is the human arrogance. That's why, again, another reason why people are not making progress. The Guruji will say, okay, say Gayatri 108 times. Yeah, 108 is a bit much. I think I'll do three times in the morning. I'm being sincere. And then they go with pride and arrogance to the Guruji and say, I'm practicing diligently. Give me a break. Whatever he said, that's what you do. You don't, you don't take what he says and modulate it to your comfort. Your comfort has nothing to do with this process. <laughs> your liberation we're interested in, but your comfort we're not. See? <laughs> take comfort off the table. <laughs> so, this process of, of, of moving towards wholeness via meditation 
is not as simple as it as it seems. You, you have to have the humility to follow the instructions. You have to have a, a tender heart. And you must work at it. You must show up. You know, show up. Just like all of you people have shown up today. You know, it, it's, it's to your credit. It's admirable. You can be in 10,000 other places, but you showed up. So from our perspective, it really, really means something. We, we have deep respect uh, for you because you showed up. You know, you know that means something. The, the saints, the saints understand that. The saints honor that. They don't forget anything. They don't forget any righteous act. So to show up at a satsang, it's it's a righteous act, and we see it, and we never forget it. It's it's marked in the kingdom. It really is. I'm not joking. It's marked in the kingdom. So. So to apply this meditation. Just think, you know, about the prerequisites of, of, of being able to, to sense suffering in the world. And then, in your own creative way, and I say in your own creative way, not just the, this way or that way. This, it's, it's not like a, just a set way. No, your own personal creative way. Whether you say a prayer for a person, or whether you create an opportunity for a person, or whether you give a donation to a person. In your own creative way, it's it's the it's the it's the intent of the heart, the honest intent of the heart. That's what's important. How you actually do it, infinite amount of ways, but it it has to be on an honest intention of the heart. See, and then over time you become more and more skillful, more and more creative. But that's part of the psychic environment uh, that you need to be truly. Uh, truly significant and have true advancement in the process of meditation. You know, I, I go into Dharma holes not infrequently. You know, and I'll look around and I'll sort of you know, everybody is like a little broadcast tower. Over time the teacher becomes very sensitive. You can see everybody's little vibration. You know, if you look at the hall and the statues, we're happy with seeing that. But when we look at all these human beings sitting there not that great. Not that great. You know, they're all sitting up well and all this, but you know, inside the Dharma Hall is a lot of nonsense. A lot of nonsense. You know, every now and then you have like, oh, look at this one. This one's making some progress. But most human beings, it's about the show. It's not about the substance. That's a problem. You know? You know, Dharma becomes sort of like a, a pop lifestyle. You know, it looks good. I have my malas on, you know. You know. Insubstantial. What's substantial is the nature of your heart. That's what's substantial. So when you show up in the Dharma hall, it's about expressing the nature of your heart. And that nature of the heart is to bring wholeness, wholeness to self, wholeness to everything else. You got to understand, it's not about you. It's about everything. You know, it's like uh, purifying a well. You want the entire well purified. You don't want this section or that section purified. You want the entire well to be portable, drinkable, pure. See? You don't want to 
cleaning this section of the rivet. You want the entire river clean. See? So this is the kind of uh, disposition you should you should approach meditation with. You know, you really approach meditation with a woman's heart, with a good woman's heart. Um, then you're going to make success. Then when they say, you know, you know, close your eyes, get your spine erect, you know, put your mind on on the breath, pay attention. You know, all the various types of you know yogic exercises, mental exercises. But it's it's that that disposition of, of kindness and compassion that forms the the very ground, the, the the substrate in which the edifice of divine thought, divine reality, divine perception can occur via meditation. See, it's but you have to get that ground right, you know. So any any thoughts? This is a little bit heavy. <laughs> I bet you no one told you all this stuff earlier. <laughs> you know. So, you know, because I know all of you will have friends that are, you know, practicing some form of meditation. And if you listen to them, it's sort of all about me, all about me. You shouldn't tell them anything. But you should gently discuss, you know, uh, that all true meditation is, is based in some form of healing, some form of wholeness, some form of compassion, and, and, and gently to move the conversation towards uh, uh, compassionate actions towards others and self. See? You have to be healed too. Don't forget yourself. You're just as much a patient as the rest of the world. So you have to, of course, take care of yourself. But you can't take care of yourself in exclusion to everything else. See? You know. So, we all have to help others, you know, uh, to, to, to get the right footing so that they, they can enter this science of meditation in a way that's going to bring them significant success and in that success, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits, see? It's not just about me being well. It's like the guy who gets rich. Now I'm rich and so the heck with everybody else. I am rich, I've got my wealth, I've got my home, I've got my cash, you know? And all they're doing is clutching themselves as the world falls apart. Well, how healthy is that? <laughs> So you have a lot of quote quote meditation students that say, I have my peace. I have my goodwill. <sighs> Come on. You it's like it, to call them a dog is an insult to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> they are so much less. <laughs> you know. With so much pollution they have no idea. So you know so in your own creative way, you know, develop a tender heart and a, and a persistent desire, you know, to help others, for the welfare of others. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. So that, so that your, your life becomes a mission and practice in compassion, see? And then start to sit 
And then as you start to sit and the different, different boundaries uh, start to fall away, the different levels of thought start to fall away. And then as all those things are falling away, there's a greater compassion, a greater compassion, a greater compassion, a greater unity, a greater unity, a greater unity. See, that's correct meditation. That's healthy meditation. That's the real science. See, the boundaries are dropping away. The compassion is expanding. That's real meditation. See? As the people are just sitting, om, 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 all this, om. And if they're not becoming more thoughtful, more compassionate, more or compassionately engaged, if, the, if those things are not happening, their meditation practice is not happening. They're, they're practicing self-delusion. Self-delusion. You know? So, we have to understand we're all in this together. We're all in this together. You know? We all absolutely must help one another. See? We, all, we, have, to, we have to absolutely find what's best in that us and share it. And also, be very clear about what your own personal baloney is and neutralize it. You know, we should just constantly be in the process of neutralizing our baloney and don't sit up here and say, oh, I'm so great. I'm sorry, you're not so great. If you were so great, you wouldn't be here. We're all in this big cosmic hospital. See? So, realize what's wonderful. Realize what's nonsense. Expand what's wonderful. Minimize the nonsense. You minimize nonsense through wisdom. So that's why Hari says, study the Gita, you know, study all these wonderful scriptures, you know, Narada Sutras, you know, Nadi Bhakta Sutras, and Bhagavad Gita, you know, Yoga Vashishta, Bhagavatam, all these wonderful, whatever your, whatever your spiritual heritage and tradition is, study the literature of the saints. Whatever the sages are from that tradition, study it. You know, these are exalted souls, study it. It's, it's medicine. Scriptures are medicine from the kingdom via the saints. See? So that will give you the proper platform so that you won't be fixed on notions of nonsense in your meditation. That's what people are doing. They, they fix on notions of nonsense and they get that nonsense. See? They get what they get what they fix their minds on. So, you know, you this meditation is a process of wholeness, not my wholeness, wholeness. See? See? So we sit, we still the mind, we become aware, boundaries drop, compassion opens up, wisdom opens up, action opens up. See? We take action in the world based on the boundaries falling and the compassion expanding. We take action. There's no such thing as a real yogi who does nothing. They'll say, oh, these yogis are sitting up in the mountains and caves for 35 years. Well, those yogis sitting up in the mountains and caves for 35 years have probably stopped infinite amount of wars based on their loving compassion, based on their insight, based on their mystic power. How many, mother, how many other you know, great tragedies would have have occurred that they are actively averting.
you know, based on their compassion. See, it would be a whole lot worse without them. So you don't have to be physically present to make a significant, you know, action in the world. It's just that action is you're using other energies, other powers. So sometimes you use the power of your hand. Sometimes you use the power of your thought and heart to affect a change. See? You affect change based on your level of skill. See? So all the yogis are actively involved in the salvation of the planet. All of them are. All of them. There's no exception. One way or the other, they're actively involved in the salvation of the planet. And I mean the whole planet, not just human beings, the whole planet. See? So that's where you're going. And these are the types of understandings. And you have to ask yourself, you know, you know, how thoughtful is my heart? How compassionate is my heart? How tender is my heart? And then what am I doing about that? You know, what am I doing in the world? You know, just start where you are. Wherever you are, based on whatever your strength is, start there. You know, start there. You know, you don't have to say, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to be a Mahatma. Get over that nonsense. Start wherever you are. Start with a smile. Start with a kind word. You know? Start with creating an opportunity for another. That's where you start. And then, if you, if you, if you can't figure anything out, just sit in prayer and say, Hey, God, show me how to help. Show me how to love. And then keep your heart open and sensitive to God. If you, if you can't figure it out yourself, ask for help. God will show you loving, intelligent ways of serving others, see? As per your capacity, as per your life, as per your situation, see? And then, when you go into these Dharma halls and you sit, then you're what we call significant, <laughs> see? You're significant. You're significant because you've become humble and you've become useful. See? Useful to the kingdom, humble before God. You're significant now. Uh -huh. There's no such thing as a saint who has his chest stuck out. All saints have their heads bowed. See, all saints want to be of great utility to the kingdom. See, <laughs> so ab absorb that attitude. Keep your head bowed, and say, "What can I do?" Then you're fit for the kingdom. Then, the, then there's genuine service. Then it's not about you. It's thy will be done. See? Now you're, in our way of thinking, now you're significant. You're significant. I don't care if you haven't sat for 30 years. The guys who are sitting for 30 years are often a joke. Some of them are significant. But a lot of them are just a big joke. It's 30 years of egotism. <laughs> They can't fool the teachers. They can fool the students. They can't fool the teachers. And we can see exactly what they are. So, so you know, we have roughly only a hundred years of life before we have to get recycled. So, you just say, you know, what can I do? What can I do in this hundred year span? You know, how, how can I wake up to the meaning of life? 
you know, and, and how can I be useful in life? It's not about you. How can I be useful in life so that your life mission becomes greater compassion, greater insight, greater joy, greater stability? You know, and you supply it to yourself, you supply it to your children, you supply it to your community, you supply it to nature. See? Then, in your hundred year span, it was significant. You know, I mean, how many of us know people who have passed away and we think, well, what did they do? You know, what did it mean? You know, did, did they lift anybody's hearts? You know, did they open any doors? You know, did they purify any of the world? Or were they just sort of processed consumers moving through the world, you know, living, eating, procreating, and dying? As opposed to what could have they done, see? It, it's not to put them down, but it's to say what I don't want to do, you know. If you see a guy jump, jump off a bridge and crash and burn and have a miserable landing, you should say, I don't want to do that. You know, that really wasn't worth doing. So if you, if you look at your, your friends and realize this sort of living a purposeless existence, they have a divine purpose, but they're not exercising any of it, so it was a purposeless existence. You should say to yourself, I don't want to do that. You know? and then chart your course. There's two types of learning. Learning what to do and learning what not to do. You know, so everybody's a teacher. You know, from some people you learn what to do. And some people you learn what not to do. You know, I'm not, you know, if somebody's poking drugs into their body, you realize, I don't want to go down that road. That person just taught you something. You saw the disaster of their life, and you say, I don't want anything to do with that. So they taught you something. They taught you what not to do by their physical example. See? So, you, you just, everyone should think about a life mission. You know? Just have a life mission. And then if you're in various relationships, try to coordinate your life with people who have a similar life mission. And if you have a significant other, try to make sure that you're both in sync with a common life mission. It doesn't have to be identical, but common life, you know, mission. So that even though you go through the vicissitudes of life, ups and downs of life, you're both going in the same direction. You're both heading north. You know, you don't have to be the same, but you're going in the same direction. See? Then um, your, your life will be far more significant. And when you take your last breath, you know, there'll be a sense of satisfaction. You know, like, hey, I gave it my best shot. You know, and I, I, did, I did some things that had real meaning. You know, wouldn't you like to die with that in your breast? You know, that, hey, it had meaning. You know, and I, I, I gave it my best. That's not bad. Most human beings, they died in a state of confusion and fear. Those are the primary things going on with the average human being when they pass. Confusion and fear. And a whole lot of regret. So it's like, why? So you're here in a Dharma hall, you're here to hear satsang. You know, these are the times to, to make a, a determination and say, well, if I don't have a life mission, let me think about it. You know, let me think about it.
so that so that no matter what you're doing there's sort of an overall general theme to your life you know and you get to write the script that's the best part you get to write it you know it's not going to be imposed on you you get to write this theme and then in your own way you know have that woven into the fabric of your life you you get to embroider the mission and the theme of your life you know so that now you're somebody now now there's a significance there's not just like a, a wealth of creative capacities squandered you know and if we're honest we have many friends and family and especially in our family we know the intimate details of our, our families we, we can see some of our, our near and dear absolutely squandered their lives, you know. Failure after failure after failure. They embrace every failure they can find. We all, we all have friends and family like that. You know? Not good, not bad, but it's a teacher as to what not to do. See, they taught us where not to go. But all of that kind of self-awareness, having a positive mission, gives us the foundation of significant meditation. See? Why are so people so, they're so terribly struggling with meditation? It's doable. It's doable. But everyone is saying, oh, I can't do it. It's hard. It's, it's this, that. And then I practice for so long and nothing's going on. It's, nothing's going on. It's your fault. You haven't done, you haven't done your due diligence. You know, to, to, to apply the science correctly. The science works. If the science is not working, it's not the science that's at fault. You've missed something. See? You've missed something. So that's why I say, for all spiritual practices, correct environment, correct knowledge, correct application. See? So something's not right in, in, in one of those three things. If, you, if you're not making significant spiritual progress in your meditation, one of those three things are off. And you better go back and do diligence. Do, do diligence and check everything. You know, this is a science. It's, it's, it's precise. Absolutely precise. So, you can, you can make great progress. Everyone here can make great progress. Apply those three principles. Have, have the basis, an understanding of your fundamental existence should be an exercise in compassion. See? Have a tender heart. And then, when you sit, let the walls fall away and let the expansions occur. See? Then you're significant before man and you're significant before the kingdom. See? We, we consider you significant at that, at that point. Before that, you're just a human worm. I hate to tell you that, but it's true. You're just a human worm. You know? Right up until you, you know, gird up your loins and say, I have a mission. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something that has meaning for the welfare of others. See, now you cross the threshold. You now have real meaning. See, you're not just a human worm. So, sometimes these sayings are a little bit stark, but they're stark to shock you. They're stark to wake you up. Just like if you're dozing deeply, just a gentle nudge won't wake you up. Someone's got to shake you. 
So if you're called a human worm, that's we're not trying to be cruel. We're trying to shake you up to think, wait a minute, <laughs> what have I really been doing? You know, you know, you know, so that you can fulfill your own true significance. You know, hidden within you, absolutely is the glory of God. That is a fact. The teachers are to help you realize that, to wake, to wake you up, so that you know the glory of God is hidden within you. So, and one of the methods, you know, the methods of that prayer, mantra, meditation, reflection, you know, to, to, to teach you those sciences. But to have those sciences have significance, the foundation must be correct. The foundation must be correct. See? You have to neutralize all the selfish nonsense. Or at least be aware of it. At least be aware of it. And then you can make real progress when you when you sit. You know. You sit for the glory of God. You don't sit for yourself. So you sit for the glory of God. That's what real meditation is about. That's why the, the yogis and saints, they have this great halo. They, they're glowing. Because they're sitting for the glory of God. See? So... Has this been a rough message? <laughs> Are there any any thoughts or ideas? So we yes. Uh, well, about the uh, environment factor, I think a lot of people probably practice in their homes. Uh -huh. Could that be maybe the um, the home is not suitable for? Uh, Every home can be made suitable. So if you look at my home, you know that. Any way you look, there's something to remind you of a higher purpose, you know. So, images of the saints, writings of the saints, um, cleanliness and order, you know, all of those things have candles, have incense, have images of the, of the divine. Anything to stimulate your sense of remembrance of the divine is is a, is is good and correct environment. See. So we all can do that. We all can do that. You, know, you start where you are. You start where you are. And and the images and the words and the scriptures, all these kind of things, those are external, uh, external manifestations of God. And they're really a mirror of what's in here, of your remembrance of God here. See? You have to understand, this world, Mahamayi, is very, very strong. So it, that process of forgetfulness, that process of delusion is very powerful. So we need things in our home to remind us of what our life mission is about. We don't fall asleep again. You know, having sacred music in the house and sacred image in the house and, uh, you know, uh, good fragrance in the house. All of those things remind us of our divine mission, the purpose of our birth. The purpose of our birth is essentially divine. You know, it's essentially a divine journey. See? So we, we create that environment. You know, so we put up a Jesus or a Buddha or a Krishna, you know, in the home so, so that we remember, wait a minute, okay. All my buddies are saying, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do this. But when you come home, you remember, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do all those things, but I want to interject my remembrance of the divine into that. See? It's easy to fall asleep. It's easy to fall asleep. 
Any other questions? You had a question, Elizabeth? Um, I was reading in Sachidananda. Yeah, Sachidananda. So I'm wondering if you Swami. recommend, so you said spine erect, and you focus on the breath. They eventually say to focus on one of the chakras. Is that important? <laughs> or yeah, is it helpful? Or is focusing on the breath and then... Ultimately, there are infinite amount of different methodology within the science of meditation. You know, basically, you find a good teacher and you do what you're told. I'm asking what you would tell. I consider you a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and I've also heard you say to some people in the meditation group to do the so hum. I don't generally do that. I'm wondering if that is better than the breath or. Is that, is that when your mind is too busy that you need more no, of an anchor? No, 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 no. This is a somewhat complicated question that you're asking. You know, all of these methods are of equal value. It depends on who you are, what your circumstance is. You know, but saying so hum or hung sa, all these different things, um, it's very, very good mind training. Very, very good mind training. If you're talking about, you know, concentrating on all the various chakras and things, that has significant value, but it has more value once you've done more fundamental mind training. You know, so what's the point of, of concentrating on chakras when, you, when you, you have no significant skill in concentration? See? When you have no significant uh, sense of uh, peace and calm. See? So someone says, do all this chakra stuff. Well, it sounds really fancy and really mystical and really advanced. But what good is it if you don't have the strength of proper application? See? It's, it's not that those things don't work. They, they're highly significant. But you have to have a body of skills. You know, so doing a profound breath awareness gives you a body of tremendous skill. You know, practicing so hum gives you a body of tremendous skill so that when you go on and say okay now I'm gonna you know work with uh, Bija mantra and work with uh, chakras and work with the symbolism sim symbolism and, and the mantras and engage with the chakras then you have facility to do that but a lot of times you know people start here when they don't have all these other skills see and it's like building a pyramid you, you have to have a very strong fundamental foundation. And don't think that the skills that you learned in the beginning are insignificant. You know, I've made significant journey through these yoga sciences and the skills I learned in day one, I still learn, I still use today. See? Just because something is really, really simple doesn't mean it's not really, really powerful. You know, an atom is really, really simple. It's also really, really powerful. So, or, or, or someone just practicing pure breath, breath awareness, you know, and then mental awareness. Super, super simple. But I guarantee you, super, super powerful also. You can go the distance with, with these practices. Don't, don't think complexity means better. That's not true at all. You know, the more complex the practice, it must be better, it must be more sophisticated, it must be higher. 
baloney. Nonsense. Nonsense. You, you use what's appropriate, but all the fundamental skills you learn, you, you, you carry them with you the, the entire distance. The entire distance. See? And if you don't have those skills, I don't care all the higher practices you may think you're practicing, no, no fruit's going to come from that tree. See? They're, they're all served by the roots of these very fundamental practices. Those fundamental practices are the roots of the practice. And then these other, you know, very elaborate other practices, that's like examining different branches and different leaves of the, of the kingdom. So I want to know this aspect of nature. I want to know about that aspect of nature. You know, all fine. But without those root practices, you can't study any of that other stuff well. Not, it's not possible. You're, you're, just, you're just, you know, fooling yourself. And, and I see it all the time. People write all these books and read all these books, and they try to do all these advanced practices. And they think the advanced practices, quote, quote, advanced practices, are better or deeper. They're not. They're just other practices. They're just other practices. It's not better or deeper at all. It's just other stuff. Other ideas, questions? I have a question. Susan. I don't know how to ask it very well, so I'll do my best. Yeah, um, take your shot. You're out there trying to do good. Um, and an example that came to my head is my brother worked as a checker at a grocery store, and he helped ladies out to their car. Mm -hmm. So he's doing a good deed, helping her out to her car, and she starts hitting him over the head with her cane. Mm -hmm. So... As a yogi, your job is to do good in this world where you're getting hit over the head by a cane. Yeah, periodically. It. Yeah, it happens. And so the question for me as a yogi, would my job as a yogi be, okay, I'll give this bag to another gentleman that can help you, so that she's still helped, but not by you, because you're being influenced by her negativity. It makes you not want, are you helping her or hurting her? Those are the complexities that I, I as a yogi, don't know how to... You just you just try to be skillful. How can I lovingly deliver this service? Or just keep this, doing it with the head being hit. I don't know. Sometimes that happens. Really? Okay. Sometimes you get smashed quite a bit while you're doing your job. What are you going to do? So that's what I want to know. Is that the path? You're doing the good despite Sometimes. Not all. I'm not saying be a masochist. That's not the deal. Okay. But sometimes you have to bear suffering. That's just part of it sometimes. Other times you can say, well, you know, this lady... Um, my red hair reminds this lady of some incident in her life that was unpleasant. So you who have black hair, why don't you take the cat, you know, the, the bag out? Because right now she's in a state of agitation, right. and something about me re reminds her, enhances that agitation. So, dear brother, carry her bags out. So you, it's just a matter of trying to do the good deed but it's not you, you don't have to physically do it but you can be behind the scenes engineering good for her see so it's, it's about your intention see and then your your creative application of your intention do you understand mm -hmm. see so, so you, you're thinking how to get the best result with exactly. the least with, to do the goodness yeah. with the least amount of yeah, without, hostility yeah, and, without exciting her agitation See, so sometimes you use another agent, you know, if there's no other agent, then sometimes you bear it, you know. Sometimes say, ma'am, either you carry them yourself or I carry them for you, 
please don't hit me on the head. <laughs> but we as yogis, because we have a duty, I wonder if we should avoid those type of people or be more close to You can't to avoid them. them because it's life. Okay. You know. Uh, but the thing is just to be skillful, to be as skillful as possible. Sometimes you have to enter the mix. Sometimes you, there's, an, there's another way to acquire the same result without your face being present. See? It's, it's just about being reflective as to wh what, will, what will fulfill this intention in a skillful way. Sometimes it's to stand back and say prayers. Other times it's to carry the bag and get hit with the cane. You know, it's just, just like, what's it going to take to get this job done? But at the same time, those are the people that need yogis around them more. Yeah, but you don't right. have to physically be there. But you don't have to take the. No, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can pray for their peace every time you see them. Pray for their welfare. Pray for their healing. You know, it'll have a positive effect. You know, you know, you're responsible to have uh, a positive influence, but you're not responsible to change their life. They're responsible to change their life. But from our side, we're responsible to create a positive influence. See? And then they get to choose whether they're going to change or not. Mm -hmm. See? So we try to create a positive environment for them to change. But they must choose to change. But if you see them consistently choosing not to change, do you keep praying for them? Oh, of course. Of course. You know, your mother didn't give up on you. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven hasn't given up on us, on, on anybody. Heaven gives the saint and the sinner the same air to breathe. So, heaven hasn't given up on anybody. See? So, if heaven has that mercy for us, we have to emulate that and have, you know, sort of a, a, a compassionate mercy for others. And if they're outright destructive and it's going to unbalance us, well then we're not strong enough to manage that situation, so we gently stand aside and pray that heaven sends a stronger force mm -hmm. to help them. Mm -hmm. See? But th there should be no masochism in our practice. See? No, not necessary. Okay. You know, we, we, there's no need to damage ourselves. We work as per our strength. And if we don't have the, enough strength for that, either we gather others to help, or we find someone who has the strength to manage the circumstance. But we don't have to enter the, the, the tiger's jaw. Not necessary. Mm -hmm. You know? Find a zookeeper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. Any? Yes? So I have a question about distraction, or rather, instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Like, what would be a good way to overcome your attraction to it, or even addiction at times, to instant gratification? Uh, there's two general ways. Um, cold turkey and gradualism. <laughs> you know? Because, I mean, it, it, it presents itself in many forms. And, Absolutely. You know, I feel like we're almost taught to be... Yeah, um, sometimes you have to manage your desires and slowly minimize them as we manage them. Sometimes this is like absolutely no good for you so you quit it and, and you suffer you know so so there's that uh, suffering that goes on but if it's like really 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 bad for you it's better to take an immediate suffering so that you're free of it so that you don't sort of tumble into 
you know, destruction. Mm -hmm. So, so there's cold turkey and there's gradualism, and you, and you have to figure out what's appropriate. Like giving up sugar. You know, you don't have to go cold turkey. You can go gradually. So, okay, I'm not going to drink Pepsi anymore. You know, like that. You know, or all the sugar drinks. Okay, I'm just going to slowly release that. And then when you release that, well, I love cakes. I'm quitting the cakes, but I can have a piece of pie every now and then. You know. And, and then, okay, I'm going to find some other kind of sweetener other than, you know, white sugar. See, so that's the process of gradualism. Mm -hmm. But in that gradualism, you're getting better, you know. So, okay, I'm not going to chase down the cows and eat them. I'm going to become a vegetarian. See, so you, you've, just, you've just shifted. You know, I love meat, you know, but okay, you know, I'm going to have some kind of faux meat. You know, I'm going to find out how to cook that. So that's the process of gradualism, but you're, you're expanding as a human being. You're becoming a better human being, you know, becoming more compassionate. You know, so that's, that's gradualism. Okay, you know, instead of uh, uh, being a, a persistent meat eater, I'll only, I'll only eat meat three days a week. Fine. And then when, you, when, when three days a week is, is easy, then I'll only eat two days a week. You know, you know how I became a vegetarian? I was a boy, I was um, 18, 19 years old, and a, a good friend of mine, who I didn't know was a vegetarian, one day invited me over for lunch, and she gave me all this um, Mexican food, of which all of it was vegetarian that she had served me. So it was delicious. And, uh, I, and then she told me she was a vegetarian, and I didn't know anything about vegetarianism at that time. You know, that was like, you know, a Martian, basically. <laughs> You know, I was Burger King and you know all the McDonald's and all that, and uh, it was it was delicious. And I, and it, but and I asked her, you know, why are you a vegetarian? And she said, you know, if I can enjoy food and live well and not hurt anything, why not? That really made an impression on my mind. You know, you live well, you enjoy food and not hurt anything. Why not? It really stuck in my mind, you know? And, I, and at the time, I didn't realize how much an impression it made, but it made a big impression on me. And I used to, I was, you know, used to hitchhike quite a bit back then and hitchhike to work, uh, excuse me, to uh, college every day. And, um, and I was, after school, I would always stop at the Burger King and have lunch. And then I, I realized that like two weeks had gone by and I didn't have a Burger King. And then a month went by and I didn't have a Burger King. You know, and I don't know, I never made the conscious decision to stop eating meat. But all of a sudden I realized, why well, three months have gone by and I haven't stopped for a burger. You know, and I, and I didn't miss it. And from then on I never ate meat again. And it came from that one statement, you know, if I can live well, eat well, and not harm anything, why not? You know, it, it somehow made a deep impression in my subconscious. And I quietly just released eating meat and never have eaten meat since then. You know, and it was, uh, the girl's name was Janet DeJoya. You know, I haven't seen her in 40 years. <laughs> but that's a, a lovely friend from the past who gave me that gift. You know, that one statement made an influence on my subconscious and I slowly just I, I just unconsciously stopped eating 
stopped stopping for lunch and eating meat. And then all of a sudden, when I realized three months have gone by, I said, well, three months have gone by and I haven't suffered. Why not? Let's see how far I can go. This is 40 years later now. <laughs> see? Plus 40 years. <laughs> so, you know, so she gave me that gift just by that statement. You know, so that was, I gradually just released it. There was not one moment of, of pain, and there was actually never even a thought to release it. I just released it. See? So, cold turkey and gradualism, you have to find out which is, which is the most skillful way. See? There's no need to torture yourself. It's just bit by bit. The key is to just continually head north. See? And then just drop off the baggage. You know, your fears, your frustrations, your bad habits. Just, you don't have to drop off everything at once. Just bit by bit. Just release. Just have release as part of the process. See? And then it's, then it's okay. You know? <laughs> Any other ideas, thoughts, questions? Is there any real difference between compassion and neutrality? Well, uh, there's a difference in um, definition, there's a difference in uh, perception. Um, sometimes people think of neutrality as a form of indifference, mm -hmm. and that's a problem. Compassion is never indifferent, see? Compassion is never indifferent. There, there's always a, a moral stance within compassion. Sometimes in neutrality, there is no moral stance. You know, like you can uh, be uh, neutral as a person gets beat to death right next to you and say, "It's none of my business. I'm neutral." You know, in, in compassion, that's not possible. See. Or, those people are at war, it's none of my business, I'm neutral. In compassion, that no, no compassionate being will ever make that statement, see? So, it's a difference of place, neutrality and compassion are, are completely different places to stand. Neutrality can be amoral. Compassion is always moral, see? Neutrality can be amoral. Uh, excuse me, I, I misstated. Uh, neutrality can be amoral. Compassion is always moral. See? Important. Important. Yeah. You know, some people say, oh, I'm a great yogi. Oh, I'm practicing non-yoga. I'm dispassionate. You know, I'm neutral as the world burns around them. That's amoral. See? <laughs> Compassion is never amoral. Hmm? Other questions, thoughts, ideas? Anything? Is there, hmm? is there a way to meditate when you're standing? Of course. And you're, say you're on the bar train and you're just <laughs> 15 minutes. And... Well, you're sitting on the bar train. You can watch your breath. You can, you can find a very short... No, but you're standing. So you can watch your breath. Oh, so? Okay. You can watch your mind. Just become observant of the nature of your mind. Just You're holding the railing and you're bouncing around. Is it still doing good? Of course. Okay. Any Anytime you pay attention and, and uh, 
create some distance, um, objective distance, and just to see what is, what's going on. And just be aware of what's going on. Don't judge anything. Just be aware. Is a, is a, is a valuable practice. Or you can sit there and practice mantra japa. Or you can sit there and watch the, the you can watch the nature of your mind and how the nature of your mind affects the the uh, modulation of breath. All of those are valuable practices. You know, every thought, every feeling has an effect on your breath. Pay attention, see what's going on, and then you realize when you can regulate the breath, you can also regulate the mind via the breath. See, but yeah. you first have to be aware that every thought, every feeling, changes the modulation of your breath. Thing. Or even, you know, what what uh, what nostril you're breathing through, left nostril, right nostril, both nostrils. Mm -hmm. Each each of those has an effect on the nature of the mind. Mm -hmm. See, so there's there's many many things you do. Have a, a short favorite prayer that you recite to yourself while you're sitting there bouncing around on the train. It's it's just constructive engagement. Mm -hmm. So there's always something you can do that's constructive. You know. Okay. Other ideas, questions? Anything from the world of Victor? It's so deep. I'm just, I just got to think about everything. <laughs> it's amazing. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Anything from Yo-Yo? No. Young sir? Okay. <laughs> Young acolyte. Yo-Yo. <laughs> Did you ever see that Kung Fu show? Grasshopper? No, you haven't seen it. It's before your generation. <laughs> okay. All right, so I think we've discussed what we're going to discuss today, and you've asked the questions that, that have arisen. Uh, so we'll sit with our, our spines erect, and we'll take a deep breath in.